Welcome to another episode of Health Creators. This is Liv and joining me here today is Nazali, co-founder and CSO of Applied Biological Laboratories. So to kick us off, Nazali, can you give us an elevator pitch of what you guys do? Yeah, sure. Applied Biological Laboratories was formed in 2016. And our goal is to provide quality of respiratory treatments focusing on the mucosal immune system or the barrier immune system. And, you know, we hope to do that by strengthening barrier mucosal immunity and to do it through the best, most effective science. Why focusing on barrier immunity? So barrier immunity is a part of the immune system that's been known about for a very long time. There's a lot of evidence in the scientific literature about it and also clinical evidence. But for some reason, it's fallen off, you know, mainstream thinking in medicine right now. It's not really a focus. However, it is the single most important part of our immune system, especially for respiratory disease, because it's the part of our immune system that comes first in contact Mm -hmm. with any viruses that we're exposed to. And just to give you an example, like, so, so there's two main parts of the immune system. There's the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system. Yeah. And mucosal immunity or barrier immunity is part of the innate immune system. So that's like your, your barrier defenses, like your skin and your gut and your respiratory lining. And the adaptive immune system is more like your antibodies and your memory of your immune system's memory of what you've been exposed to which is also very powerful and and great, but it takes longer. It takes longer to kick in. So strengthening the barrier immunity is more important, especially, you know, as we see new pandemics emerging and, you know, because it's not surprising that people do get sick, even though they're vaccinated. Yeah. Um, It's because it has to do with the barrier immunity. Does barrier immunity decline over time? Yes, it most likely does, but it doesn't necessarily have to. There are a Mm. lot of lifestyle factors that come into play. So two molecules in particular uh, that we study and that are in our products, lysozyme and lactoferrin. Um, Lysozyme and lactoferrin. mm -hmm. Okay. And they're actually components of our mucus, and they decline with various lifestyle factors, you know, such as diabetes medication or age or high inflammatory state, even birth control pills can alter. Why is that? Because it's hormonally linked. You look at different factors or proteins within the barrier, Mm -hmm. and then how do you kind of reverse the decline? So... They've been studying this for over 10 years. We have two laboratories in New York, and we work with a lot of academic partners and do a lot of research. So basically, we supplement what is known to increase the barrier immunity or increase the integrity of the cell lining. And we use what are called in vitro organoids, which are respiratory organoids that are grown from... um, biopsy tissues that are donated from people and so we grow them in the lab and and study them Mm -hmm. and study what like how they interact to different products and surprisingly we found that actually most of the products on the on the market today for cold and flu actually severely damage those those tissues so it's kind of like trial and error a bit of like testing organoid models with different compounds and then seeing no what. no it wasn't trial and error we actually use nature as our inspiration 
And so we started from there. Mm. And then, you know, all of our all of our compounds are naturally derived. Yeah. And the reason for that is that nature doesn't really work the way a lot of pharmaceuticals do. So a lot of pharmaceuticals yeah. are designed to go in and tackle one aspect of a very complex biochemical pathway. Yeah. And that's the reason that we, you know, I, we believe that, you know, a lot of pharmaceuticals are not as successful as they could be. I mean, there's only a handful of pharmaceuticals that are you know, really stood the test of time, you know, with minimal, minimal side effects and then actually mm. really cure, cure something. So, yeah, so we definitely use nature as our inspiration. And I mean, it's like every day we're learning new things about inflammation and respiratory disease is essentially an inflammatory condition. All of the symptoms have to do with inflammation. And uh, Inflammation is very, very complex. We're, we're learning more about mm. it every single day. For example, you know, the, the common way to treat asthma, which is also a result of inflammation, is just to, you know, give tons of steroids. And yeah. that doesn't work. I mean, people get habituated to them and they develop a lot of other conditions because of the use of that, you know, those yeah. steroids. Because it's, it's a, you know, it's a very complicated checks and balances that happen mm. um, in the body. So, yeah, so we use nature as our inspiration because it has a way of calming the inflammation in such a way as to calm it so that it doesn't offset other biochemical pathways. So, for example, we've used steroids for asthma. Asthma is inflammation. It, it's caused by cytokines. Too many if cytokines are biochemical messengers that cause inflammation. And they actually have, there's, there's inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines. But a lot of the inflammatory cytokines can also turn themselves off. So, you know, with a lot of steroid medications, you're just turning everything off. But that could, in the long term, actually exacerbate inflammation because the internal on-off switch is not there either. So the body, you know, interprets that as oh, you know, that there's damage or I need to rectify this somehow. So then more cytokines get turned on. That's interesting. Have you looked much into like Chinese medicine or medicine from like, I don't know, Native American like tribes? Yeah, yeah. We, we, so that also, you know, follows the approach of balance, which we're very much in line with as well. I think that's a unifying principle to nature and mm -hmm. traditional medicines is this respect of the ba the inherent balance yeah you know what i mean yeah so we try to use keep that in mind when we do our science so yeah so we we have scientific validation for everything that we do but we yeah. also keep in mind you know this this issue of balance yeah i think that's nice i think the issue with a lot of chinese medicines is that there just isn't a lot of scientific evidence behind it. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. But then, but then there are some things that have proven, you yeah. know, to be effective, right? You know, like green tea, you know, it's mm. very health prone actually with respiratory disease as well. You know, there's some anti-inflammatory compounds that directly yeah. inhibit the inflammatory pathways that are responsible for respiratory disease. Yeah, but I mean, of course, it's like, you know, thousands of years old. So, you, you know, you don't have, I mean, what tools did you have like thousands of years ago, right? But, but some things, you know, 
have turned out to work. But yeah, we, we, we try to use kind of a combination of both. So you basically identify compounds based off of natural therapeutics that, that are more balanced from, from different cultures. And then you test them on organoids of respiratory systems. Yeah, we don't, we don't really, we don't really focus on cultures per se, more on, I guess in a way it's true because we have aloe vera and that's been used in many native cultures, mm. as well as aspirin, which is one of the oldest medicines known to man. I think Hippocrates wrote about it. I mean, it comes from willow bark. I'm sure these have been used, you know, yeah. since a lot of ancient times. But really it's just, you know, there, nature has, I think, you know, a certain subset of combinations of molecules that are able to, you know, come into existence. And, and so that's why we see a lot of plant molecules yeah. are able to work, you know, are able to work for human diseases because, you know, there's only a finite amount of protein combinations and stuff that can happen. So, so you'll often find, you know, a lot of antiviral plant compounds mm -hmm. are effective in people. So. Yeah. What, what is an example of a molecule you kind of tested on a organoid that you now see therapeutic potential in that you can kind of like put in? Oh, okay. Yeah. So actually also to answer your previous question as well. So, so we, what we did is we, well, first of all, we, we realized that nothing on the market really is effective for treating respiratory symptoms. Mm. And, you know, when we just started to do a little bit of research in terms of the active ingredients and what they actually do, yeah. they're mostly all neural modulators. And that really has nothing to do with inflammation, which is, which yeah. is the cause. So what we did is we really looked at the inflammatory pathway and what the key players are in that inflammatory pathway. Yeah. And we found that bradykinin is one of the first signals yeah and that that leads to uh, signaling to prostaglandins uh, via the cox1 and cox2 enzymes so we looked to see what we could do to inhibit those and that's why we have in our formula cox1 and cox2 inhibitors one of the main ones is aspirin but also so the lactoferrin and lysozyme really came from some research the antiviral research we're doing because we have a whole other area of research and area of products that are in development for antivirals. And that's when, where they originally came into play. So we started with nature because there really was no answer when we started the company for like, how do you... So we looked at the science and we said, okay, viruses, how do they infect us? Mm. You know? And... It, it actually happens that they, when we breathe them, yeah. they infect in our nose. So I always thought before I started researching it that it went straight to your lungs. But no, there are receptors like all lining your nose and throat. Yeah. And so we were wondering, like, why isn't anyone targeting this, right? And so there must be a way to stop that binding. And then so since it wasn't really known what, what it was, and then we decided to look, okay, so like what's in the nose that's naturally mm. helping you? And it turned out lactoferrin and lysozyme. And then we also added some other viral 
inhibitors that are also natural because also in your mucus you have inhibitors that will compete for the binding sites yeah. um, receptor binding sites so it was a- that was actually we started first with the antiviral research and then we we're like whoa you know like nothing really works for symptoms either and symptoms are inflammation yeah and none of these ingredients are doing anything so- for inflammation so let's look at that so then we said okay like Let's look at the pathway. And then we started using COX inhibitors, but they weren't really, they weren't really working as effectively, you know, to really lower the infl- inflammation. They, they, they did. It was significant. But we found that adding lysosome lactoferrin could make it even more. So it's, it's the synergy. Yeah. So inflammation is a bunch of different signals going on at the same time. And it's the synergy of all these anti-inflammatory molecules that really gives our formula its power. Okay, so your formula basically combines um, a protective kind of preventative mechanism with an antihistamine that like basically stops the COX-1, COX-2 activation. Yeah, it's not actually an antihistamine, but it's very okay. close because bradykinin, the molecule yeah. is actually a, like, you could say like a cousin of histamine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, they're similar molecules. But yeah, that's the same idea. Like they have the, it's the inflammatory pathway. Okay, cool. And how long have you been building this? So we started in 2016, where we formally formulated the company. Yeah. Uh, but the research has been going on for like over, over 10 years. You know, we researched a lot of patents, yeah. over 3,000, you know, tons of scientific papers. So what was your background before forming this company? You said you did a lot of research before this, also in this area. I have a PhD in neuroscience and molecular biology. And so when I was doing my PhD, I was studying adhesion molecules. So those are little Mm. tiny attachment molecules, attachment factors on cells, what they use to communicate. And it just so happens that they're very similar to some of the attachment factors or receptors that viruses use to bind. Yeah. And so what kind of like intrigued me and, you know, I remember that when, like, years later, I was thinking about, oh, like, why are all these pandemics and what actually mm. happens and all that. So, you know, coming back to the viruses bind in the nose. And, yeah, so we actually started the company with the idea for having antivirals. Yeah. And those are, those are going really well, but that's a longer development process. So, yeah. I would love to understand a little bit more about... Because you mentioned you did like a PhD in adhesion molecules, and now you're looking at respiratory diseases. What's your theory on why COVID left such long-term symptoms on people like brain fog and in some cases like short-term memory loss when we looked at long COVID? I know you mentioned that viruses start in your nose and throat or start in your nose and then kind of travel down. Do you think that something similar happened in, in like migrating into the brain? Okay, yeah. So that's a really great question. So whatever that you feel that happens from COVID or most respiratory diseases is not a- the actual virus. It's actually the inflammation yeah. that causes the symptoms. So the virus is, is probably, it, it's got to be long gone, are these people that have long COVID. It's what they're dealing with is the residual inflammation. And so 
I mean, inflammation is like Im- Im- immensely complicated. It, it basically, it comes down to, you know, you're somewhere in your body, you sense an insult or an injury. It could be a virus. It could be, it could be, you know, an injury or, or something. It could be a clogged artery, right? Yeah. And then that part of your body sends out cytokines, which are like bradykine or histamine or, mm. well, those are not exactly cytokines, but they, but they, they start the process of getting cytokines and and so you know that that process the whole you know cascade of cytokines is meant to recruit immune cells and immune cells are there because they want to protect you and you know deal with the damage and all that stuff so the the problem is that you know inflammation is tiered and the immune system is also tiered so you can get you know like lower level protection yeah. with, or with the cells that are already in the tissues. There are certain immune cells. Those are the ones that we focus on with the Biovanta, a respiratory product, that are in the, in the actual tissues. That's the innate immunity, the barrier immunity. Those are macrophages and dendritic cells. And those cause the least damage because they're already there. But then if you don't shut off that inflammation, you're going to get more and more stronger responses yeah so your body's going to start if it doesn't feel that the situation is getting resolved it's going to start recruiting more and more powerful cells from your blood and the problem with that is that in order for the white blood cells to get into the tissue they have to break apart the tissue yeah and so that causes more damage but it's if you if you have an infection that's life-threatening that's great because it's it's like, you know, the body says, okay, like, well, I have this infection. It's worth it, you know what I mean, to, like, damage yeah. the tissue a little bit instead of, like, having the organism die. But if that on-off switch is not working properly, then you don't really mm. have a threat there, but you're still damaging your tissue. And I think that's the problem with long COVID, and I think it, it really, like, has to do with a lot of different things. I think that we're living in a time where people are in an overly inflammatory state just because all of the lifestyle factors, the pollution in our environment, the over-medication. A lot of people are over-medicated for things and they have side effects that they might not be feeling right away, but they're doing something to their, you know, setting off their inflammatory state. And, and then just like things get out of whack. And, so, you know, that, that switch, yeah. the, the on-off the on switch gets... Yeah. Out of whack. So you think that the reason why not, well, why some people got long COVID symptoms that involved like brain fog and why others didn't was maybe because of autoimmune problems that are either like lifestyle or genetic. Um, uh, yeah, that, I think it could be. Know. Yeah, for sure. It also could be that they weren't able to fight the virus, you know, mm. as well. Yeah, it could. Because why, why do we so, not see this with other respiratory conditions? Or do we see this a lot with other respiratory conditions? That's a good question. I mean, we kind of see it with influenza. Mm. Not that there's long influenza, but like, you know, influenza leads to like 100,000 or more deaths around that ballpark, like, you know, yeah. in, in a common year, you know, before COVID. And, you know, there was cytokine storm used to happen a lot with influenza. I think it's just, it's, it's a more insidious virus, so it causes more inflammation. You know, if you see, you know, more, more something that causes more inflammation is going to have more of an effect that way. Also, yeah. the spike protein, 
is in a lot yeah. of different tissues. It also has to do with that. So the spike protein is something that the coronavirus binds to. And mm. so if you're, if you're finding it in a lot of different tissues, it's going to cause a lot of inf inflammation that way in a lot of different tissues. But still, you know, your body should be able to turn it off. Yeah. So it's an, an innate issue, probably. And then you mentioned that like in our day-to-day -day life, people might just have like a higher level of inflammation than we used to. Mm -hmm. What are some things that people can do to like mitigate against this like high level of inflammation that isn't taking anything? Yeah, okay. So that's a really good question. So I'll talk about allergies just because I don't know if you know this, but like right now we're in peak allergy season mm. and even though it's the fall. That's because of ragweed that's blooming and mold because of the cold, wet weather. Yeah. And allergies can make people more susceptible to getting sick. Mm. And allergies are inflammation, and they're one of the more common reasons why people have an inflammation, especially in their respiratory system. So I think some things I would recommend are, you know, having a high-quality air filter and taking omega-3 supplements. So omega-3 supplements are really, really interesting because Omega-3 fatty acids, especially the EPA ones, um, help your body build resolvins. So those, mm. are, those are really important molecules, very, very interesting area of research in how we repair from inflammation. So it's yeah. not really the inflammation per se that's bad, but it's the, you know, the slowness to repair it. And that might yeah. be in long COVID as well. And then just, you know, just general healthy diet and exercise, because exercise is interesting because it also causes inflammation but it also yeah. stimulates the repair so it's kind of like a healthy type of inflammation because it revs up the repair pathways to make us more resilient and sleep and the microbiome actually the only other thing besides omega-3 that are known to increase resolvins are uh is aspirin interesting yeah but like also, you wouldn't recommend someone take aspirin all the time, right? Well, I mean, some people do. I mean, people should speak oh, yeah. to a doctor. I mean, it was, you know, some people do take baby aspirin. Mm. But it's one of the best ways to increase your resolvins. And it's actually, out of all the products on the market, especially, you know, for the cough and cold category, you've probably heard about phenylephrine that's been taken off the market. Oh, has it? Yeah. The nasal spray? The oral one. Okay. But the nasal spray is not that much better. We can talk about that in a minute. but. Out of all the medicines, aspirin has the most data behind it, and it does work on the inflammatory pathway. But yeah, with phenylephrine, the oral dose was taken on the, off the market. The FDA ruled that it's ineffective. Mm. But the, the nasal ones... Um, it works, though. Well, it doesn't yeah. really. You, like you can breathe after. You can breathe, but it comes back. I mean, it's mm. been studied. There's many, many clinical studies that it's not effective because, I mean, Think about it, like you take it every couple of hours or a couple of times a day, right? Yeah. So when you're taking it, you can breathe, but then it comes back mm. and it's worse. And the Mayo Clinic actually did a Q&A recently, I think in 2023, that proved that they were said that a lot of these nasal sprays are not proven to do anything and actually could be causing rebound issues and could be a reason that people are developing sinusitis. Do you think that's because the phenylephrine like does something to the barrier? Like does it make it so that the barrier is less healthy or something? 
it it does it could but that's more so if something is applied directly to the barrier but we didn't i don't think we studied we didn't study phenylephrine per se but there's another problem with it is that congestion is congestion happens so it, phenylephrine is a vasodilator yeah so it dilates your blood vessels in an attempt to relieve congestion the congestion yeah. is actually caused by inflammation mm. and remember like i said earlier inflammation it's it's a complex, like the same molecules that are causing the inflammation are going to resolve the inflammation because they have yeah. that, their own on-off switch. I see. And so your body is creating that inflammation in order to get rid of a threat that it's seeing, mm. right? So the issue is to like, you know, the best thing is to let, just let it resolve itself, but it hasn't even been proven that these it's even good for decongestion a lot of people say well i need to sleep and i'm all stuffed up okay well you know uh pseudoephedrine which is now the fda is recommending instead of phenylephrine is actually a stimulant so you're not going to be able to mm. sleep anyway <laughs> and uh, a lot of these nasal sprays they tested them against placebo which is just a basically just, just a saltwater spray and the placebo will work just as well. So maybe it's just that you need to get something in there that you need to use, you know, wash it out. Yeah. Personally, I believe in blowing your nose. It's yeah. always worked for me. <laughs> so. Do you think you know. the, the like, phenylephrine messes with the on-off switch and then elongates the time it takes for you to recover? I think it could, yeah. I think it could. I don't, I don't think the oral one does because the FDA panel said that the oral one it wasn't even bioavailable, so nothing was mm. really reaching enough of your bloodstream. But the nasal one, yeah. it definitely, it definitely yeah. could. And I mean, I haven't tested this, but I have a theory based on the research that we did do in the papers, paper mm. that we wrote, that it could be prolonging the illness, or it could be that if you're taking, if you like, let's say you take something for congestion, it, yeah. it could cause something else. Like it could cause a sore throat, or it could cause, you know, because that inflammation is trying to resolve itself. And the whole respiratory system is connected. So, yeah. So your background's in neuroscience, and now you work a lot in respiratory conditions and inflammation. But what are your thoughts on, like, neuroinflammation? And I think you mentioned briefly that, like, neuroinflammation is probably what causes a lot of the long COVID effects. But what are some conditions that might be linked to neuroinflammation that you may or not expect? Almost every neurodegenerative disease has an inflammatory, not even component, but like cause, I would say. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, it's all really basically damaged. Anytime you have like damage to tissue that's not resolved or that in involves the immune system in some way, yeah. it's, it's got to be inflammation. So for Alzheimer's disease, I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at glial cells into starting the whole process you know, killing those neurons. And the same thing with Parkinson's, it's basis, mm. basically death of certain neurons in a part of the brain. And that'll, you know, that, that has to be from inflammation because, you know, it's, it's a way of, of the body, you know, trying to get rid of a certain, you know, a certain threat by damaging part of itself. So that's cool. I guess a lot of the work you do is kind of supporting the body's ability to basically switch on and off. Is that the kind of goal? Like just reframe the way that we target inflammatory conditions today? 
Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Yeah, to basically put everything back in balance, you know, yeah. and to look holistically at the whole body and the whole system. We see that now, like you know, on a big level with global warming. I mean, like you can't, yeah, you can't keep <laughs> producing fossil fuels <laughs> and like expect nothing to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, just everything is always in balance, mm. and so like. We really need to just always keep that in mind. I mean, you know, there's a reason for everything. So let's try to understand that instead of going in and trying to, like, just stop one aspect of a pathway. Mm. I mean, uh, like in Alzheimer's disease, which you brought up, is a great example. I mean, everybody was so excited with this new Alzheimer's drug. And yeah. now they're like, oh, well, it might not be that great, you know, because you're not. Yeah. You're not really looking at the whole thing you know so like it's not as simple as just like one mechanism of action yeah one is one one aspect of the pathway mm. you know what i mean that's a lot of pharmaceuticals now are are doing that like i mean phenylephrine right like or yeah. these nasal sprays oh um there's there's yeah. congestion the uh blood vessels are constricted so let's dilate them <laughs> well <laughs> you know it's inflammation that's causing the symptoms so yeah well, that's not really going to solve the problem so you were working on this way before the company was actually formed. What was the reasoning behind turning this into a commercial entity and not keeping it as just like research? I really think that research moves really slowly and, um, you know, the regulatory process moves really slowly. So, you know, if you, if you find something that's able to help people, like why not try to get it to market, you know, as soon as you can. So, you know. Hopefully, we'll be able to do that on a big scale soon. <laughs> yeah. You've been working on this for seven years now. Mm -hmm. What would be the one thing you would recommend for someone building a startup in healthcare or life science? I would recommend it. What I would recommend is to trust the science because science is always evolving. And, you know, there's always something that you can discover if you ask the right questions mm. and just be curious. But most of all, like really do trust the science and like even if it means that you have to go against the status quo, yeah. uh, you know, and like big household names like we're doing right now. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes beyond phenylephrine. There's like, you know, all of the the main ingredients, guaifenesin, dextromethorphan, mm. benzocaine, even, you know, none of them have been proven to work. And they've been studied in many, many, many clinical studies. And they're in many household name products and they've been around since the 70s. So, you know, it's it's kind of daunting to go against these household names. Mm. But, you know, we trust the science and we have faith that people are going to do that, too. And, you know, that eventually the truth will come out. So and what's the number one thing not to do when building a life science? Um, company? Well, I think the number one thing not to do is. Not to think that everything's going to go as you expect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, especially in healthcare, it's like super important because there's so much research that's going on in it and yeah. so many things that are constantly changing. And it's so tied to what's happening in the environment and yeah. the natural disasters and the fires and the hurricanes and all that. So, you know, and, and we don't know when, when we're going to have another pandemic, you know, so you might think that you want to treat 
one disease, but then people are, are you know, in a pandemic, so they're not worried about that. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, something is going to throw you a curveball somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, just just be prepared to weather the storm. Don't think that it's just going to be a straight line because it's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what's interesting is that you started this company in 2016, three years before the pandemic. Was it always in respiratory conditions or did you pivot into that post-COVID? No, it was always it was always this. We it was actually we conceptualized it during one of the bird flus. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think in two thousand nine, and yeah, because we're like, wow, you know, like why isn't anyone doing anything about this? There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing you know that you can use in your respiratory lining mm. to strengthen your barrier. That's where the viruses are landing. You know why? And no one was even using masks then. I mean, like, you know, so we actually thought about masks and we're like, no, no one's going to wear it because it's too cumbersome. You need something that like really fortifies your barrier. And so, I mean, now, you know, now we have Biovanta and we're working on other things. And so, you know, we're doing that by fortifying the natural barrier. But yeah, we this this was always our concept. Would you have done anything differently knowing the kind of outcome of COVID. I mean, I'm guessing a lot of healthcare companies probably would have done stuff differently, but I wonder, given you guys are specifically focused on respiratory conditions, if you would have tried to push something or tried to market something earlier and, and ride off the back of the COVID hype train. Actually, I, I actually don't think so. It's, 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 mm. worked, it's worked pretty well. I mean, I, I don't think so because I, I think the one the one good thing that came out of COVID is that people are more educated on respiratory disease. Yeah. Like if I if I were to say to you, if COVID never happened and I were to say to you, like viruses bind in your nose and barrier immunity and that's where they land, you would have been like, What? You know? <laughs> but but now, you know, we have these nasal swab tests. Yeah. You know, and so everybody's everybody understands it. But I don't, I mean, COVID, we, we did, we came out, we launched Biovanta right during the pandemic. And mm. that hurt us, I think, because it was really hard to get our message across through the noise. Mm. You know, there are too many people doing too this. many people. Yeah. And then like, you couldn't really even say anything about COVID. Like even if you wanted to, it was very hard to even market it. Market even. it. I mean, we, mm. yeah, we have, we, we got a comment by the fda for saying we had we just mentioned in our scientific paper that covid is a respiratory condition. is a rest like <laughs> you know you could protect against covid with barrier immunity or something like yeah. it was like a scientific you know it wasn't even like a marketing anything mm. you know and so i mean that's how Stringent. hard it was yeah i just have one last question for you so with all the research you're doing, what is the one impact you want to leave on the world today with applied biological laboratories? I would say the one impact that we want to leave is we really want to leave with this legacy of, you know, focusing on inflammation in, in a more holistic sense, you know, that looking at like every, everything that it impacts and not just focusing narrowly on one aspect of it. And, you know, I really hope that the pharmaceutical industry as a whole starts really seeing inflammation, like really looking at like 
what effect does this drug have mm. on cytokines? Like not only, and what long-term effects could that have that maybe it's not showing up a side effect right now, but you know, it's because everything is linked to inflammation. I mean, all the chronic diseases that you can yeah. think of, it just comes down to inflammation. And, and um, I think people are suffering needlessly, you know, with these mystery illnesses and things interacting in ways that we don't even understand. Mm. But, um, you know, when, when we're developing drugs, we could think more in terms of like, okay, what, what other pathways could this be influencing besides the one that I'm targeting right now? And then like maybe like, you know, companies could have a repository. And so, yeah. you know, a public repository of like, they could come back to it and reference it. And so if something comes up later, you know, they could trace it back. So in addition to the Health Creators podcast, you'll also find everything you need on healthcreators.co. That includes our vendor selection and CRO databases, conference selector tool, and also investors you should be talking to. When you log into healthcreators.co, you'll also have direct access to Nurut for clinical development and a community of founders building in healthcare.